I've so enjoyed the last two weeks of talking about Advent, waiting with God, a time of remembering our history with God and looking to our future. Today, we get a story. Last spring, I spent some time with the Chrysostom Society, and I met the most interesting person, writer James Scop. James is a professor emeritus of English at Dort College in Sioux Center, Iowa. And to understand Jim is to understand rural Iowa. Jim is the type of person who stops to read historical plaques along the road. He takes photos and then writes the most beautiful stories. Today he offers a little piece from Christmas Day, 1914, during World War I. That one day where the fighting stopped, German, British, and French soldiers crawled out of their trenches and greeted their enemy as friend. They shared food, sung songs, played soccer, and helped bury one another's dead. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Webcam is currently being used by another application, it says. <laughs> no idea what that means. That's all right. It's, uh, there's got to be some term for the uh, frustration and anger that technology gives us. <laughs> it's a modern phenomenon, but it's a real phenomenon. It is. Hey, tell me, how, how are you in retirement and such? <laughs> well, uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, pre-retirement, um, people who were retired used to say, I'm busier than ever. <laughs> and at that point, I felt like killing those people. Um, but now that I am retired myself, I understand. Uh, there's a sense in which the little things that you do take longer because you're older, but they take longer because you have more time. Mm. And what used to be something that needed to be pushed into a you know, an hour segment or something, you can go two hours with it now. And you do. And as a result, um, the hours just go by. So I'm, yeah. I, I am really too busy in the sense that shouldn't retirement mean lawn bowling and fishing? And, <laughs> and it doesn't. You know, I sit here at the computer most of the time. So. <laughs> Someone had mentioned to me recently about how it's another kind of theory that you make the task fit with the time you have, whether it's long or short. I think that's very true. And what happens in retirement is you simply have more time. And, 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 you know, the great pleasure, you know, and I trust me, I don't want to sound as if, oh, it's a bad thing. The great pleasure is you, you can, in fact, run down things that otherwise you wouldn't, you would have never taken the time to do. I mean, yeah. in terms simply of the kind of tasks that, uh, that either come to me or that I choose mm-hmm. um, on the basis of wanting to write. Yeah. 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 You got more time. That's all to it. Yep. Yeah. And you spend it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you're still writing and doing the, the historical stories. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, uh, this little gig with uh, uh, public radio in this region, mm-hmm. um, and it's been a ball. I really enjoy it, uh, and they pretty pretty much let me do what I like. The idea is to try to unearth um, stories that are regional, um, that have sort of contemporary application. Uh-huh. It, it isn't just course in history, but... Um, basically it uses, I suppose you might say an imaginative writing technique of, of narrative or, or, um, nonfiction writing. Mm -hmm. It uses that 
in order to contemporize things that uh, that have happened that are fascinating and that a lot of people simply don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a there you know there's just a ton of stories under our feet that that people don't don't understand and don't know. And for me, of course, just simply finding them, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not an authority, I'm not a historian, but just simply stumbling into them and onto them mm-hmm. is in itself a voyage of discovery that's that's really cool. And it's especially cool, I think, when you're retired and you tend to think, well, my brain's going to sort of shut down now. But to find out new things mm-hmm. um, is in itself uh, uh, an expression of one's desire to live, I guess, in some ways. At, at least it's a joy. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, and then a gift to help others that don't necessarily have the time to stop on the road and read the plaque. They get to yes, absolutely. That and no question. And that's that's a big deal. You know, I mean, it's not as if no one has ever seen these stories. I just wrote one um, a couple of days ago for Christmas mm-hmm. about um, you know the, the the relatively famous truce in no man's land. During World War One, when the Brit and the German soldiers got together and sang Silent, Silent Night and, you know, sort of celebrated Christmas in the, in the middle of all the horror. Yeah, yeah, I've heard well, that. That's a, you know, a well-known story. Uh-huh. Um, but you try to find a means by which to tell it that's a little bit on the slant, as Emily Dickinson used to say, you know, a little bit of a different way. But it's also true that, you know, many, 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 many people don't know those stories even if they're part of the the very uh of the cornfields right around you they're they just simply know those stories at all Uh, so refreshing them is is a fun thing it's a joy yeah go for it go for it read it all right here we go miracle in no man's land okay it's time to get serious about this Before you talk about miracles and magic, let's have a good cold look at what happened in no man's land between the British and German troops, December 1914. Before you grab the Kleenex and get all teary and sentimental, you should remember that perfectly good reasons explain why peace broke out amidst war. Why, for one unforgettable Christmas, the lion lay down with the lamb. Okay, you put uniforms where you'd like. What I'm saying is the magic of that moment is perfectly explainable. First, it had happened before. In the public mind, the great Christmas truce of 1914 stands alone. Not so. This was not the first, so stifle yourself. Second, war giddiness was still in the air. The Great War had just begun. A hundred thousand Brits thought marching off to France was a fine and proper test of manhood. Death had not held the throne for four long years, as it eventually would. That Christmas wasn't yet hell. So why not eat, drink, and be merry? T'was Yuletide, so deck the halls. What's more, most of the partiers were reservists who just arrived at the front. First-line veterans had either trudged back or else had not returned at all. Lots of rookies lined the trenches and hopped out of them quickly that Christmas. And consider this, the Brits certainly did. Ethnically, the German troops were Saxons and Bavarians, relatively sweet-natured chums. Had they been Prussian, no one would have peeked over the edge of the trench, even with a helmet. Fourth, in a way, 
You don't have to have a crystal ball to guess that such a truce might transpire. One Brit officer smelled one coming and commanded his men not to take part. Friendly intercourse with the enemy, unofficial armistices, for example, we won't fire if you don't, etc., and the exchange of tobacco and other comforts, however tempting and occasionally amusing they may be, are absolutely prohibited. And then there's this. Neither Brits nor Jerry's were on their own home turf. No French or Belgian troops swapped cigars or doffed each other's grog. The war was being fought on their homeland, and after all, therefore, past the ammunition. Listen, even the darkness weighed in. No man's land was strewn with the dead. Dozens of bloody corpses lay where advances from either side had failed. A Yule celebration began as a burial detail. Men who'd been shooting at each other teamed up to bury their mutual fallen heroes. Read Psalm 90 sometime. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Imagine killing each other with that funeral favorite playing in your soul. There's perfectly logical explanations for a Christmas truce in no man's land. Just think about it. Or not. Imagine how hard it would have been to shoot at men when suddenly 30 yards away, dozens of lighted trees went up on Christmas Eve. Good German folk had sent their boys half the black forest. You'd have to be heartless to shoot through a candlelit chorus of shimmering Christmas trees. Just imagine. Amazing sight. And then there's this. The world sits in silence on Christmas Eve as if, once more, we all await the bejeweled skies all around to come alive with a heavenly chorus blessing us all with words we all need so badly to hear. Fear not. Fear not. There's a king in a barn, the old story maintains, where living a miracle. No matter how you parse it, the peace that came to lie over the killing fields that night still breathes life into all of us. Joy that warms the soul and got those boys with their sodden boots out of the trenches and into each other's blessed company. No organ, no trumpet, no drum, only a chorus of men's voices finding an ancient melody, a harmony of languages that night in the cold and in the rain. Silent night, holy night, stille Nacht, heilige Nacht. All is calm, all is bright. No matter how I slice it, it most certainly was a miracle. Fear not. <laughs> That's good. Tell me, how, how did you discover this story? Well, I all, <laughs> well, part of it is, just, part of it is sheer necessity. I've been doing this for a year now, and, and I only had one Christmas story. And the guy at the station played it last week. So I called him up and I said, well, way to go. Now you forced me to do another Christmas. <laughs> and uh, actually, I had seen sometime, if you'd like to, to be thrilled, there's a, a, an operatic men's group out of the Twin Cities that uh, put this all to music. Hmm. And they were here just down the road in Orange City this last week or a week ago 
But, I, you know, I sort of knew the story. Everybody kind of knows the story because it's such a beacon of hope in the middle of all that darkness. Hmm. You know, like you said, you had sort of heard about it because right in the middle of the, roar, of the war, all of a sudden they just decide to share drinks with each other and have a cigar and talk. And hmm. uh, and then the next day go back to war again. I mean, it's a very sad thing that way. But there's this there's this glimmer of hope on the horizon with this darling story, you hmm. know. So I knew about the story, and then I watched these these men, and that's part of it too, Nathan. You know, this hasn't been a particularly good last couple of months for being a male. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, and it's always males. You know, as yet anyway, we haven't had a woman who is an abuser. We, I mean, they exist, but they mm-hmm. haven't made the headlines. Mm-hmm. It's always male. Yep. So to to watch this happen with a whole bunch of males on stage and watch them sing and sing together, all these men, you know, there's something sort of of redeeming just simply about that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it was sort of fresh in my mind. So I thought, Oh, I bet I can, I bet I can, if, if I can find a creative way into that story, I can tell it in a way that hasn't been told. Mm -hmm. And um, there's plenty of, uh, you know, resources about no man's land, Christmas truths, by just finding the right one. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know, what I can do is say this isn't a miracle, but I can turn it around in the process of the story and say this was. And it's a miracle because of the miracle of Christmas. Yeah. And then once I had that plot line, you know, then it was sort of filling in the details kind of. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good, that's a good idea you bring up because we're, we're painfully aware of how destructive men have been. In our yes. in our world, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No and, kidding. And so to kind of pause and go, well, here's something beautiful that's that's taken place. Yeah, and it was all male. I mean, you know, I shouldn't talk that loud. My wife will yell downstairs at me angrily. But <laughs> but I mean, this was an all male event, and you know, we don't have to be pigs. You know? <laughs> right. That's a great story. And what did they they stop for 24 hours? Yeah, up and down the line. Um, you know, we're talking about trench warfare. You got that image in your mind, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, up and down the line, the specific uh, events were were different. And some places there was no truce. In some places there was a truth that went for 24 a truce that went for 24 hours. In some places they played supposedly they played soccer. Um, in 2014, there was a new sculpture in uh somewhere in england of a big soccer ball that was somehow reminiscent or symbolic of the christmas truce some places i I mentioned in the story in several places they actually buried their dead together so so the brits would actually help the germans bury their dead and vice versa which is really incredible yeah it is um but one way or another they all you know schlepped the little booze together and got a little goofy together and then um, look, sort of looked at each other in, in many situations and said, how can we go back to shooting each other? But did, you know, guess what? And the war went on for four more years and I don't have to tell you what a horrible war, great war was, you know, millions of people dying and trench warfare itself just was just unbelievably bad. So it's an amazing moment and but but it's those moments you do have to nurture and you do have to keep telling each other. Why why are we? I mean, this probably is an obvious question, but it's just kicking in my head. What is it about beautiful things, true things, 
that that we're just so drawn to and moved by? Yeah. Well, it's a good question, and and it's one for philosophers to answer, and not just <laughs> athletes like me. But but <laughs> you know, the, uh, the the trajectory of life is to death, and um, you know, it's Lord knows it's not particularly difficult, and especially these days, um, you know, look at the opioid thing, uh, um, depression and sadness and alienation and loneliness. Uh, seems ever present, maybe even more so than it might have been in other eras. Um, there's lots of reasons for the darkness, and uh, there's lots of reasons for people to to walk around in a in a sort of shroud of darkness as well. And some of those reasons are, are can't nothing. You, what are you going to do about it? No one's going to live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is death, and there is unfortunate death, and there's tragic death, and there's so Lord knows we need our Christmases, we need our Emmanuel, our God with us, uh, and we need even you know these sweet little lights and the first Noel when you hear it at Christmas time. We you know you really need those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Oh, how we do in fact need our Christmas miracles, our Emmanuel spaces our God with us moments. Next week, I'll pick up the conversation with Jim and another seasonal story. You'll want to bring your Kleenex for this coming one. I want to mention a couple of Jim's books. One would be Finding Christmas, stories of startling joy and perfect peace. And we'll have a story from that next week. He's also written a novel titled Up the Hill, Folk Tales from the Grave. And then a book on Mother Teresa, titled Reading Mother Teresa, A Calvinist Looks Lovingly at the Little Bride of Christ. Hey, this coming year, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of the publication of Celebration of Discipline. And we have much good in store for you to help celebrate this. We're going to have an academic conference, a pastor's conference, and then 10 evening celebrations around the country. There'll be more to come on this later, but I did want to direct your attention to the website for the Pastors' Conference as registration has just opened. You can find that at renovare.org slash fox. That's renovare.org slash fox. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.